Life is one long journey made up of many detours. Some are chosen and some are not, but they all teach us something along the way. Welcome to the Detour Podcast, where conversations about life detours and travel detours converge. It's one part human experience and one part travel experience put together to teach and inspire us to take the detour and enjoy the wander. Welcome back to the Detour Podcast. This is Sheila Shinsky, your host today. And thank you so much for listening again. We hope that you and your family are well and enduring the shelter in place, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you're listening today. We hope that everybody is um, staying safe physically uh, and mentally. And that is so important uh, at this time. And our guest today uh, will tell us exactly how important um, keeping track of your mental health and these types of issues are. We have Tammy White with the Bobby White Foundation, and she's going to talk to us today about a subject that's tough for people, but she uh, is very adamant about being an advocate for suicide prevention and education. Tammy White is the founder of the Bobby White Foundation, which was formed in 2018 after Tammy's husband, Bobby, passed away by taking his own life in 2016. The vision for the foundation is to bring awareness, education, and research to suicide and the relationship between chronic illness, mental health, and substance abuse in an effort to prevent suicides, as well as provide resources, support, and hope for suicide loss survivors. She's here today to tell us her story, what she's learned over the past four years of this tragic detour, and the ways we can help reduce suicides. Tammy, thank you so much for being here on the Detour Podcast. Thank you, Sheila, for having me and being open to this conversation. You're welcome. And today is uh, a four-year anniversary of actually the celebration of life for Bobby. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, four years ago, many people in our community came together um, where we lived, where we got married, where he passed away to celebrate his life. It was amazing, the amount of people who showed up. But yeah, today's that anniversary. Well, thanks for taking the time today to be with us. So um, I've been reading some articles and actually um, experts are warning of increased suicide risk due to the isolation, uncertainty, and stress as our world has adjusted to the pandemic. And we're keeping distance to maintain physical health, but this lack of human connection and isolation combined with the financial and emotional stress puts a strain on everyone mentally as well. And um, I just read an article yesterday about a uh, ER doctor in, in New York um, that uh, took her own life due to that stress. And healthcare workers and first responders are at particular risk due to the trauma, the physical fatigue, and the emotional toll of caring for critically ill patients and those who are uh, 
whether it's um, sickness from this pandemic or just normal sickness, they're at a greater risk. But part of your mission is to always keep talking about mental health and specifically suicide prevention. And you feel that dialogue and awareness at this time is of utmost importance. And while initially, I'll be honest, I was hesitant to bring such a heavy subject on top of all the stress that we're having, you urged me that this is the exact reason that we should be doing this podcast at this time. Why do you say that? Well, in normal times, even um, people with good mental health sometimes have a hard time and people with difficult times with their mental health have a difficult time. And now it's, um, we're all in it. I, I was on a webcast yesterday with um, professionals all around the world. And it's not just, um, it's not just people that struggle with their own mental health. It's all of us now because of the situation that we're in. And it's a situation that we're put in uh, not by ourselves and it's, it, it's worldwide. And so things that are going on, people with good mental health are having a difficult time. So could you imagine what it's like with people that have that struggle exacerbated the situation with our mental health? And, and it's not just, we, we need to kind of get away from the quote unquote mental health. It's our brain health. It's not, it's just not those that struggle. It's all of us that are struggling. That makes a lot of sense. And, and like I said, sometimes uh, we think about, um, you know, keeping things positive and, and, and cheery. And, and I know that you're a positive person too. And, and that's not, you know, that's, you're not saying we should get away from that, but um, we, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about these subjects. And it's really important during this time because we are physically isolated and people are alone, as you said. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, they're not, you're not able to be in physical proximity to, to see signs or things like that. So um, we'll get into all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I thank you for, for kind of um, educating me on why it really needs to be uh, done, done now and, and really a need that we need to talk about all the time. So before we get too far ahead, can you tell us briefly uh, about your husband, Bobby? What was he like and how did you meet? Um, yeah, I can. Um, we met when <clears throat> I was 26 years old. We were living in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I was actually going through another really uh, bad situation. I had lost my first husband, but um, that's another story. I mean, we were like an unlikely pair for the most part. I grew up in Washington State, but I went, moved to Fort Lauderdale to go to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. And he was a land surveyor, New York native. He was from Long Island, New York. Really tall, handsome guy with beautiful blue eyes. And he um, helped me get through a, a lot of really bad stuff. I mean, he was always by my side. I mean, no matter what I had to deal with and I had never known, you know, somebody to do that. Uh, our first trip was in um, to the Daytona 500, I think in 1988. And we met up with some friends up there and 
camped out at, at a campground and, and we were we were supposed to go back to Lauderdale but neither one of us we were kind of like rebels back in those days because you know we were kind of young it's like it was like oh we're supposed to go back to work but no we really don't we don't want to work we just want to play all day yeah. yeah we just so instead of heading south we headed north and we went to St. Augustine and spent a few days up there to went to a bed and breakfast and I mean just we were kind of it, it was kind of back in the days you know like even in the 70s like the hippie times you know it's mm-hmm. like go have some fun you know he ended up being my best friend I mean we we did everything together once we were together we weren't really apart except for when we had to be yeah it was it was amazing and we uh lived in in Fort Lauderdale for three years and and it was really kind of funny because both of us when we left home as teenagers neither one of us lived in any one place for like more than a year Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we got together we lived in Wilt Manors together for three years and uh, he was diagnosed with MS and uh, his family lived here in Newport Ritchie we knew we had to leave Fort Lauderdale we thought we were going to move out west and uh, we ended up coming to Newport Ritchie Florida and you know, quite frankly, I think that was one of the best moves that we made. I, uh, we have such a great community here. We uh, we were together for nearly 30 years. You know, he, he was a land surveyor here. I you built started- your life. You, you did what, what a lot of people do is, you know, yeah. bought a home, built a life and do your jobs. And uh, you were together for 30 years, you said? Um, nearly 30 years. We were together for like... 28 and a half years. So yeah, I count it 30 years. Yeah. 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 Close (laughs) enough. Right. Close. Yeah. Once you get up into those numbers, right. It just, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we had, you know, we had our issues. I mean, we weren't, you know, the perfect married couple, but you know, we, we were pretty good. You know, his MS went into remission for many, many years. And, you know, we just, we were actually, I was actually, preparing for him his retirement he was gonna retire I don't know four or five years before this happened and uh, things happened okay so let's um let's get to the things happened part um although I'm sure you would love to just talk all day about all those uh, happy times and I would I would love to do that too um but we you're doing important work and we and we need to hear about it so um the day that Bobby died um, was kind of a typical day for you, correct? Well, in the way that you were going yeah. about your life, doing different things. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was having a hard week at work. I mean, nothing like really insane or anything. But um, like I said, he was a land surveyor, and it and it's really hard to um, what do you mentor new land surveyors and. Uh, we had this one kid, his name is Russell. He was like the son we never had. And he came over the night before and he was like, oh, we got to watch the ranch. And we were like, what? <laughs> so we binge watched the ranch. And I mean, everything was cool. And the next morning got up and um, something broke on the door in our truck. And 
he was supposed to take it down to get it fixed and uh, he didn't do it. I had a business meeting with, um, I was president of business and professional women of Calusa at the time. So I had to go to that meeting and came back and didn't get it done. And I was like, really seriously, dude, this is the only thing you had to do all day. He worked four tents. So Fridays was his play day with his guys that he grew up with from New York. So I thought, ah, no big deal. I had a framing job I needed to get done and uh, uh, the customer was going to pick it up in the afternoon. So I got that done. So I thought, okay, I'll go, I'll go get the truck fixed. And I had another errand that was a surprise. Um, I had taken our wedding videos, which were on VHS. That's how long ago we were married. <laughs> <laughs> to... Um, Pasco camera to get converted to DVDs so that, you know, we could preserve them and everything. So I went and did that. I, I was gone for two hours. And um, I came home and found Bobby had taken his life in our backyard. Ugh. That I can't imagine. I don't want to. Um, so you didn't really know, obviously, that was something that was going to happen. There wasn't really any real strong signs. I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but Obviously, you didn't expect to come home to that. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, there were some things in the past that would have maybe related to that, but no, I just figured when I left and and I was upset, and he was saying things and I was saying things, and I was just like, I just figured he'd go in and go to bed like he would usually do. You know, and there were other family things that happened in a couple of weeks prior to that and a couple of years prior to that that I wasn't aware of. And uh, no, if, if, I, if I had that in my mind, I would have never left that day. I would have I never left for that two hours. I, Obviously, yeah, you know. yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm sure, you know, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. everything sort of adds up to, to, in a sense, normal things that everyone kind of goes through and you sort of can't predict something like that all the time. So um, I don't know how much you want to focus on, on that uh, day or anything else that you want to say about that, but your experience after that led you to seeing the need to develop this foundation and to advocate for uh, survivors, uh, the family um, and the friends of, you know, those, those people that, who have taken their lives. So can you just tell me briefly in whatever way that you're comfortable, why you started to see a need uh, for help for survivors? Were you not getting help that you needed? It was kind of bizarre. Um, of course, you know, people that don't go through it, you really don't know. And 
I wouldn't have known either, but um, that after, I mean, we had a slew of sheriff's departments, victims, advocates, everything, you know, everybody around here, but a good majority of our family who lives here was here. But when the sheriff's department, and, it, and this is nothing against our own sheriff's department, this is a, an issue all across the country. We, I was given a piece of paper with a list of funeral homes. A sheriff knelt down in front of me and said, if you ever need anything, you know, please contact me. Well, you know, um, you know me, I, I, I'm a business person in this community for many, many years. So my main or automatic response is, do you have a business card? You know, I need a name and a contact. He looks up at me and he says, no, and he points to the name on his shirt. And he says, no, but this is my name. And I just remember sitting there looking at him and I'm like. Probably in a day is like, I'm not going to remember this number. I can barely remember my own name right now. Right. Yeah. I was like, I just found my husband hanging from a tree and you want me to remember your name? And by the time he got up and walked away, I couldn't tell you what he looked at, looked like, what his name was, or anything. Yeah. We never had any other information, uh, no contact from anybody. We were left to our own devices in a world that we have, like many others, no clue. And no experience in this. Yes. It's, it's, you know... Some people, and I don't know if this is the right time to say this or not, but I know from experience, unfortunately, there's a lot of tragic deaths, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I do know from experience because I, I lost my first husband when I was 26 years old. He was hit on US 27 in South Florida. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I was a kid. But I tell you what, a death by suicide, unless you have lived the experience, is so much different. Yeah. So much different. And there's no help for us. Even back then, there wasn't help for me because this was like in the early 80s. And the uh, peer groups back then were, um, they were older women, you know, it's mm-hmm. people. Young, young people didn't lose their spouses by a tragic event, per se, back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. And so I went through, through that kind of deal, too. And then now it's with suicide. There's not help for the lost survivors like there needs to be. They're, the first responders don't know what to do. They deal with this all the time, but we don't. Right, right. Right. And I, and I'm sure that the, I'm sure that they've got a kind of, um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm speaking out of no fact, just, just kind of a common sense or what I would think, but, um, in, and well, I can't say a little bit of experience because my husband used to be um, a paramedic and, you know, they, they see a lot of tragedies and sickness and accidents and things every day. And you kind of have to harden yourself a little bit, detach a little bit to be able to see those kind of things every, every day. But so, so beyond, beyond that, there should be resources um, 
on hand and, and given at that time so that they can, um, if they can't be the ones to directly help you in that moment, you at least have some direction to go to. And that that's kind of uh, what you decided to do. Isn't that part of why you started the foundation to, to provide that information for people? Yes, that's exactly why we started the foundation is to bring resources and just information to lost survivors as soon after a suicide as we possibly can. It doesn't always work that way and it's not a perfect system. We've, I mean, we're, we've done fairly well. Um, we put together a purple packet. Ours is, right now is specific to Pasco County, but it can be related to any place else. And we're hoping that at some point we can just change some inserting pages to make it specific to other locations. Um, my hometown in Wenatchee, Washington is looking at it. And um, there's just a couple pages that we have to change, but. So the purple packet, what what's in there? So there would be, as you said, local resources, that people can reach out to phone numbers and agencies, I'm assuming, uh, lists of that kind of thing to refer to if you find yourself in a situation uh, such as you had. Um, what else is in there? Just some general information for people? There's a letter from me and Jody from Florida, uh, Central Florida Systems of Care uh, Children's and Health Foundation, just kind of letting people know that you know, they're not alone. Um, I think there's like six pages double-sided um, that has information on how to help children, how to help yourself. There's a small portion that's dedicated just to our county. Um, we found out that, uh, and, and it's that way in, in most areas, that um, resources are very scarce. And um, we, since we've started doing this, we've been able to collect some new resources that we're going to add to the packet when we um, get to our new printing. Our idea initially was to get it to the sheriff's departments because they, in our county, they handle the majority of the suicides. After talking to um, other organizations in the police, uh, individual police departments, um, all suicides are reported separately, which kind of is, is difficult. So we currently have... Um, what do you mean by that? I'm not sure I understand what that means. They're reported separately. If a suicide happens in Pasco County, Pasco County reports it. But if a suicide happens in the city of Newport Ritchie, that's counted separately. It's not included in Pasco County, even though we're in the county. Um, same thing with Port Ritchie. So the statistics can look a little different exactly. based on the way that they're collected and recorded. Right. Okay, I got right. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was attending some um, meetings this past summer, and uh, the uh, Sheriff's Department was we began to start report uh, reporting the suicides. So initially I thought, okay, these are the suicides for the county. But then when I went and I met with the individual police departments, the individual police department statistics aren't included with the counties. 
So it's, yeah. The it, numbers it, cannot it, look like they really are. Yeah. And fortunate, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the individual cities statistics are much, much lower than a county's. Of course, you know, the way our county is spread out, but um, it, it still leaves out, you know, the county has the largest reportings of suicides and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. But the idea was to get these packets to people that were lost survivors, family or friends after a suicide as soon as possible. They, they may not be ready to look at the information right away, but at least when they are, they have something in their hands. I didn't even know that in our area, we had a Florida chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention until, I don't know, five or six months after my husband's death. Mm -hmm. And I found out by accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that seems... Um goodness, anytime you experience a death, you have that period, any kind of death, you know, even if it's just a relative that, you know, passes of natural causes, so to speak, um, you have that period of, of numbness where everything is kind of in a fog and, and you're numb anyways, you know, and then especially if it's something tragic like this situation, um, I can imagine that's that's even worse, you know. Uh, so yeah, your your brain isn't thinking. You like you said, you might not be ready for that information. Then so it's it's great to have that packet um, on hand. You shared with me um, a statistic, and I hope you can remember it because I I cannot accurately. Uh, but you were telling me that it's crucial to have this resource available kind of right away because especially if there are other children in the family, family members are at a higher percentage of also hurting themselves when something like this happens? Well, actually, um, suicide loss survivors, which includes family or friends, it could be co-workers, anybody that is, re you know, has any relationship to anybody that ha has taken their life, is at a 400 times greater risk than the regular population to take their lives. Wow. To, to repeat that, 400 times greater? Exactly. Yep. Wow. And so you can have, say in a scenario, you can have a parent whose child has taken their life, and then you can have a sibling that you now need to, or maybe that parent themselves or whatever, who is now at a 400 times greater risk of, of also doing this. That's astounding. That's yeah. Well, and until this actually happened to us, um, when I was a teenager, our best friends, um, we grew up together, our dads raced together, their uncle took his life. The oldest ones of us, I think we were probably around, I don't know, 12 or 13. When we graduated from high school, I had already left town. So by that time, it was like seven or eight years later, their grandfather, their uncle's dad, took his life. Oh. And then on my, with my husband, a dear friend of his that he went to school with since he was a child, many years ago, his 
nephew took his life. And a few years later, his father, his brother took his life. And then the other child, a daughter took, took her life. Goodness. My and that's, goodness. And, and that's just mind boggling to me because my husband knew that, you know, but it, it didn't stop it. Uh, okay. So, um, man, it's such, it's such tough stuff. It's tough stuff. So here's, here's what they tell us. Um, there are things that we cannot control. And so this is one of those things we could, we could not control what, what other people do, but Correct. what we can do is control what we do and we can try to, um, educate and inform ourselves and we can make the best choices that we can to prevent. So let's talk about the education and information that your foundation also works to provide uh, ways to reduce suicide. One of the big things that you said was awareness, that awareness is key. Awareness is key. And um, it's suicide is still one of those things that has a big stigma attached to it along with mental health. I kind of, when I talk sometimes, I refer back to, you know, in the 60s, breast cancer was never talked about, and it was a huge thing. It was hush-hush. You know, in the 80s or 90s, it was HIV. It was, you know, don't talk about it. It was this, it was that. There was such a big stigma attached to it. Well, here we are in the years that we're in, and we can't talk about mental health and suicide. There is such a stigma attached to it. You know, I remember the first, when I first started speaking out, and it hasn't been that long ago, maybe a year and a half ago. It's not as bad now, because now when people see me, they kind of know what I'm talking about. But at first, it was like, they looked at me, and as soon as I mentioned, you know, suicide, you could see the uh, demeanor of everybody's posture change and the energy in the room changed because they didn't want to hear it mm-hmm. you know but everybody needs everybody needs to to listen and talk about it um i found out five months after my husband died that two years prior to that his brother who was the same age as he was when he passed away he was committed to the uh, mental health unit and he was there for six or eight weeks and uh, never knew why he was there. My sister-in-laws didn't really tell Bobby and I, you know, why he was there. My husband wouldn't go visit him because he tended to be a drama queen, but um, he had lost his job that he had had for 20 years. He was getting close to getting out and that I had heard of from my sister-in-law. So I called his wife and asked her, cause I was concerned, you know, I don't, I didn't know why my brother-in-law was there. I didn't know what was going on. So I asked her, frankly, I said, uh, would Jay intentionally hurt himself? And she knew what I was talking about because she had lost her first husband many, many years ago to suicide and he left her with five small young children Mm. and her her response to me was oh no Tammy he would never do anything like that and I'm like okay I'm just you know I'm worried because you know we don't know what's going on two years later 
my husband is his age and my husband takes his life. About five months later, I'm standing in my kitchen on crutches because I broke my leg three weeks later. <laughs> and I asked my husband's youngest sister, what really happened with Jay? What, you know, did this really, is this why he was committed? And the answer was yes, he tried to take his life. Uh. My sister-in-law came home and found him sitting on the couch with a rope wrapping around his neck. Oh no. So there very well could have been a family history of, of yeah. mental struggles and these oh, kind well, of things. Well, evidently there was. I mean, all the kids except for my husband was on medication. The beam broke when Jay tried to take his life. And, um, but nobody thought it was important enough to tell either I or his brother. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to that that stigma or that embarrassment or shame. Yeah. And again, I like what you said earlier that we you know, we refer to it as mental health, but it really can be a situation of brain health as you said. Oh. Because are we embarrassed to say um I take medication for my thyroid because my thyroid doesn't produce exactly. chemicals exactly. that my body needs? Uh, is someone else embarrassed to say, um, I'm diabetic. Uh, I have to take uh, insulin because my body does not produce and, and, and work the way that it needs to. So I've got to take insulin for diabetes or, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. it is. The brain is another organ. And if we your, can start. The brain is, yeah, it's one of your biggest organs. And yeah. it's. It's so no if, different than any other organ in our body, but for some reason, there is this thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, well, and I think it just does, like you said, take education. It does take talking about it. It takes people being open. I think, like you said, you know, we're starting to be at the beginning of that, where you even hear um, celebrities and people that have influence um, singers and actors and different people. Um, we used to only just hear if they took drugs and overdose and died or took their life or whatever. But now we're hearing about they went away for some um, help because they had depression or because they were fearing, feeling suicidal. And many of them are being open about that so that it's okay to say if my brain's not working right the same way as my thyroid's not working right. And I right. need to go get some medical help, um, maybe medication or therapy or whatever. It can all be different for individual people. But if we can just make that shift in our brains, about our brains, it could really help, <laughs> I think, right? And maybe we exactly. wouldn't be so afraid afraid to, to reach out and say, um, you know, because if your brother-in-law had... Uh, gone into the hospital because he had kidney stones, would your sister-in-law have been afraid to say that to you? I get that this is tricky, but we really have to somehow get over it because too many people are dying and too many families are being ruined because we just can't honestly talk about these things. If somebody is struggling and they are having, their brain isn't working right, let's say that, their brain isn't working optimally, um, you, you know, you said we don't heal in isolation, 
but in community. And I know when you went through this, the community helped you a lot. How do we support people who are suffering and also family members after the fact, say? The main thing is to be open and to listen. I was fortunate because when my husband died initially, my mom wanted me to sell everything and move back to Washington State. Well, I was there when I was 17 years old in 1979. I've lived in this community for a really long time, and this was my community, and I've had a business here. And in that respect, I was more fortunate than maybe some people are because I had not only, I mean, I had my husband's family, but I had my business community, which you were a part of. And, you know, the sweet cards that you would send me just every now and then out of the blue were, you know, so great. There's people that don't have that. And and, it, and it's difficult. We're, I'm trying to help a family now who in February lost her, her their teenage daughter and it's it's been difficult and trying and not only on their part but on our part because you know we've been there too and my volunteers and people that help me pretty much we're all lost survivors so it's you know it makes it hard it's a difficult thing to do but just be there. And I know a lot of people don't know what to say. And a lot of times you don't have to say anything. Just, you know, if you could just be there for them. I went through some really difficult times. I was getting ready to go back to work three months after Bobby died. And uh, on the 4th of July that year, I ended up breaking my leg. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the community thankfully came together and my family, you know, helped me out. Not And me not even realizing how much help that I would need, you know, because you're in such a fog and, and life is just so messed up. But it's to be there for people. And a lot of it is people need to be educated on signs to look for and how to direct people to resources. We don't have a lot of, like, super local intense resources right now. We're really working on that. Um, what kind of resources are needed that, that we don't have? We need uh, support groups for suicide loss survivors, and okay. which, we're, which we're right now applying for a grant to bring that to our community. Um, some people feel that you can go to any kind of grief support group for this, but our loss is so much different than other losses. Most loss support groups, it's hard for other people's losses to relate to our loss. Our loss is so much different. Um, some people don't understand that. So we, we are in the midst of applying for a grant. We were hoping we were going to start a, a group here for both adults, teens, and children by summer, but with the COVID thing, it's not going to work out. We're applying for a grant so that we can hopefully in the fall have a uh, survivors group. That's our one of our super big focuses, you know, right now for the foundation. My husband also had multiple sclerosis and my mother-in-law and I, when we first moved up here, my mother-in-law and I would go to the MS support groups and they were so depressing. It was awful. <laughs> mm. and, and 
we don't want it to be that way. You know, we want it to try and be positive. And in Pasco County, we are above the national and state average for the last 10 years for suicides. And it's not just, it's not the kids. I mean, we've had a rash this earlier this year, but actually in Pasco County, the highest rate for suicides are white males in West Pasco, 45 to 55 and older. Wow. And if you consider that you have people that are related to suicide deaths are at a 400 times greater risk for suicide and one suicide can affect on an average of 137 people. Wow, that ripple effect of that act, yeah. How is that affecting our community? Hugely, hugely if, if the t- statistics are that high in this in this county specifically, but yeah, just that, that trickle of effect. Um, it is, it is really something that is needed. Now there are, um, I know that you're trying to help, uh, locally in our, in our county, there is a national suicide hotline and, uh, that people can reach out to. Um, and what you encourage everyone to put this in their phone, Yes, I encourage everybody to put this in their phones and have this handy. It is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. Younger people who like to text, they also have a text talk line, and that is you can text talk to 741741. Okay. And we'll include that, those numbers again in the show notes. Um, And that's for the national suicide hotline. So we would want to have that on hand in case someone that we love starts showing some signs or starts talking about um, maybe hurting themselves or Um, we are feeling that way. Yeah. A couple of easy signs kind of to look for is if they start, if people start saying, oh, you know, you'd be better off without me, or if they start giving prized possessions away, you know, giving things away, you can kind of know, you can kind of see it. And, and don't be afraid to say anything. I had a friend who, who saved someone's life and he got really pissed off, but it's like, wouldn't you rather confront somebody that even if you're, even if it's wrong, wouldn't you be feel better confronting them and just coming out and saying, "Hey, are you thinking of are you thinking of taking your life? Are you thinking of, you know, suicide?" And if they get pissed off at you, so what? Yeah, Wouldn't you yeah. rather have them mad at you than have to go to their funeral? Right. You know what? And no. maybe instead of just um, being afraid to say that, maybe the fact that you did ask them would make them think like if they had a moment of clarity, like, you know, I'm really getting into a position here and, but this, you know, my mom asked me or my dad asked me or my friend said, asked me, that means they care. Maybe they really care. Right. 
you know, maybe they well, really cared. Yeah. They cared enough to ask me and exactly. say, I wouldn't want you to do that. So, right. you know, um, I think sometimes we can never, and I know you've said this to the, uh, the survivor guilt or whatever you want to call it, that's connected to people that have lost someone to suicide. Um, that could I have done anything differently? Oh, um, it's, never yeah. goes away, but you no, know, it's, it's huge. I mean, and that's part of the stigma too, is um, we have to live with this every day of our lives for the rest of our lives. It's just, unfortunately, a natural, natural response. I mean, I can look back and say, what could I have done different? But society does it too, to us. Like with me, I was with my husband for nearly 30 years. You were together that long, you, you didn't know he was gonna take his life, really? Yeah. And, you know, with the poor parents, you know, they're, their job and their, you know, their whole thing is to protect their children mm-hmm. and they couldn't, they're not able to do that. And, and it's the same thing from society. Seriously, you know, you, you couldn't, you know, and it's, yeah. it's horrible. And well, yeah, weren't you involved? Weren't you watching your child? Didn't you know what was going on in your life? You know? Yeah. We, I, I think it's really, Again, um, we want to find someone to blame. We want to find it's human nature to say, oh, could this have been prevented? You know, whose fault was it? And there's no easy answer to that. (laughs) No, no, there's Mm -mm. not. And, and even I've heard from many other people and professionals that if it didn't happen that day, it probably would have happened another day. Yeah. Sometimes at someone who's to that point, um, we hate to say it, but they're, they're determined and they've decided. And again, kind of, we said at the beginning, you know, we can't always control what, what other people do, no matter what we do. That's true. (laughs) I think one thing that does help for sure, um, is telling your story. And I know that you agree with that and that's why you're telling your story. That's why we're having this tough conversation. Um, you had someone who um, actually their life was saved from hearing a story. Can you tell us about that? You were at a fundraiser and this person came as a guest and um, heard one of the speakers. Sure. At our, our major fundraiser is Art for Hope, which we have in September during a national suicide prevention week. A friend of mine, brought a friend. I mean, she had no idea of the connection. She introduced me to her friend. And um, the following Monday, we were at a networking meeting and my friend came up to me and she says, Tammy, you're not going to believe what happened Friday night. And I was like, yeah, what? She goes, remember, you know, so-and-so who I brought to the fundraiser? And I was like, yeah. She says, well, we were on our way home that night. And she says, thank God I wasn't driving. She looked over at me when we were coming home and said that she was planning on taking her life until she heard the stories from our speakers. And my friend was like totally blown away because she's known this woman for, I don't know, six years or more. She said, you know, she said, after hearing everybody's stories, there's no way I could do that to my son. So my friend, she was like, okay, you need to talk to your son. 
we got her one of our purple folders. <clears throat> we encouraged her to get professional help and again, to talk to her son so that she didn't go through with her plans. And as far as I know, everything's good. She's talked to her son, she's gotten professional help and she's doing good. That's so great. People don't really want to do this. Um, it's people that are in such severe pain mentally and hurting. And sometimes if they can just get that, you know, their brain's not working. Um, and sometimes if they can just get that, that treatment or that counseling, um, they can see another way out that's, that doesn't involve suicide. So, so important, so important for survivors uh, people who have attempted suicide to share their story. You know, if you can get to a point where you're comfortable with, um, doesn't mean you have to stand up on a stage and do it, but you know, somebody in your life, don't be afraid to say to them, Hey, you know, I did that. I, I was thinking about this or I, I felt sad and depressed or I went through this. I, you know, there's help and there's hope and you don't have to go through with this, these thoughts that you're thinking or this action that you're planning because it's final. And uh, there was a there was a period of time where I had a family member that was dealing with some depression. We were seeking some medical advice about that. And especially with teenagers, teenagers' brains are still forming. They're very impulsive. And she told me there are a lot of dead teenagers that never really intended to kill themselves. They just were in pain. They act rashly, quickly. They don't think about consequences and they just act. And it's not even really what they wanted to do. And if you talk to any lost survivors, no, mem no matter any suicide attempt survivors, they really didn't want to lose their lives. Right, yeah. It's tough, man. So many hurting people. It breaks my heart. I'm so proud of you, Tammy, for taking your pain and your experience and turning it into action and creating this foundation to help other people. Tell me real quickly in just a couple sentences because we're, we're running out of time. Besides these purple folders and these resources that you provide, what, how else does the Bobby White Foundation help people? And why do we need to, to donate to you and come to your fundraisers and, and all the things that we're going to talk about in just a second? <laughs> okay. Well, right now we're, we are, um, besides the purple folders, our foundation has kind of exploded into things that we didn't even anticipate. You know, originally it was to help lost survivors with the purple folders. Um, right now, we are in the process of helping a family that I spoke about briefly that lost a 17-year-old daughter to suicide. The mother and 18-year-old son found her, and they couldn't go back to their home. So we are in the process of trying to help them find a new residence and getting mental health help for the mother and the other three teenagers. Um, as you imagine, um, the three teenagers, 15, 18, and 19, are at super high risk. The 15-year-old can't go to school now because of the COVID thing, so she's not around her friends and her peers. So that makes that extra difficult. So we're working on that. Um, there's just 
there's so many so things. Those trying. real individual needs that come up with these families that you encounter in the community. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they, they fall through the cracks because they're technically not, I mean, I applaud everybody that I have spoken to in our community to, to um, try and help this family. Um, I've learned a lot, even though that uh, many organizations couldn't help us, but they gave me so much vital information and I learned so much. They felt bad, but every single one of them, I was like, no, you know, don't feel bad. I learned so much and I, I know what we can do, you know, moving forward when, you know, this is going to happen again. We're going to, we're going to have these needs, but unfortunately the family falls through the cracks because they can, they're living with an aunt. So they're technically not homeless. So it's, it's been, a, it's been very difficult and, you know, they're going through this very traumatic time in their life. It's during a very traumatic time in everyone's life. It yeah. must just well, compound this, it. Yeah. yeah. And this, this started like the first of February and, yeah. and then now this stuff is going on. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's super difficult. So our foundation is, is here to, to really try and just be there to help people navigate and, and give them some hope. Um, things that we didn't have, you know, like I said before, I was super fortunate because being a business person in this community, I had more resources and had people that reached out to me. There's many more people that this happens to and they don't have that. This is one of the families and, and it's, and it's really, really hard. Our suicide rates are higher than what people want to imagine they are. We need help to uh, not increase that. This family is at high risk and, and we, don't, we don't need another tragedy. Um, we also need to get our purple folders translated into Spanish and that's to get it done correctly um, is really expensive. Um, and we need them updated. It's, you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of little and big ways that people can help, right? Little and big yeah. ways that people can help and, and little and big things that people need. Let's go over some of the ways that people can help support the Bobby White Foundation and help you on this mission. Um, they can donate directly through the Facebook page, the Bobby White Foundation Facebook page, correct? Correct. Anytime we do um, a post that has a donate button on it, 100% of the proceeds from Facebook goes to the foundation. Um, if you're doing birthday fundraiser or, you know, any fundraiser for yourself, consider the small organizations. Do your fundraiser for people like us. I'm not saying just, you know, only me. We, we have a number of great small organizations in Pasco County that um, you can do your fundraisers for instead of, you know, the big organizations and I'm not being, you know, I don't want to say. Yeah, anything I've, no, I've got what you're saying because those big ones get the recognition and they the little the ones don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They get the recognitions and they get millions and billions of dollars yeah. where us small people, we're, we're the ground roots people. We're here on, we're beating the pavement here in our community. With your neighbors. Yeah. 
yeah. you are your neighbors, right? You're, try and make, you know, to try and make things better. I mean, like I said, I mean, we have several small nonprofits in our community. I mean, not only mine, um, consider doing that in, you know, instead of the big ones, they're going to get the money. They get yeah. the money from the government and everybody else. We don't. Here's a real good um, one. Um, that's okay. We're, we're buying so many things online now because we're all in our houses. So, uh, lots, we're getting those Amazon deliveries almost every day. Oh, yeah. yes. So here's Smile a real easy one. Amazon.com. Yeah. 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 When you're, when you're buying stuff from Amazon and I do the same thing instead, of, and, and it hooks you up to your regular Amazon account, but go to smile.amazon.com. And pick your charity. Bobby White Foundation is one of the charities on um, Amazon.com. And a percentage of your um, purchases will be donated to our foundation. That's a real easy one, people. If you're listening, you can do that one today. You just go and set that up as who. I mean, we have um, one that, that we give to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your advice, Tammy. We have a larger organization. We give to um, St. Jude's with our... Um, uh, but we've been doing that oh, for a while. St. Jude's I'm, is awesome. They're saying, I know you can't really go wrong no matter what, know, no matter I what. Know, okay. Really so, say, so, yeah. so I know that, uh, I know that you're not saying like, don't give to St. Jude's, give that. Oh, no, I know you're not no, saying I'm that. Not. Yeah. But I'm saying, I'm saying that's a good, good thing, you know, that to consider like change it up, you know, I mean, maybe even if it's every once in a while, Yeah. <laughs> maybe, you know, for it this month, <laughs> Hey, here we go. It's, uh, what did you say? It's October is uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month? Actually, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay, there we go. And um, the week that we have our uh, fundraiser at the Hilton Garden Inn in September, on September 10th, that week is um, National Suicide Prevention Week. And then in October, we also have uh, with American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is the Out of the Darkness Walk. Right, and that's a uh, local walk that's done. We right. actually did a podcast um, early on in the, the lifespan of the Detour podcast with uh, Marie Kelly, who is the um, organizer for that local walk here. And that's another great fundraiser um, for suicide prevention and awareness. So here's your tips, guys. Okay. So you can donate to the Bobby White Foundation right through Facebook. You can hook up your uh, Amazon account to Smile Amazon program and donate a percentage uh, of your purchases. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You're buying off of Amazon anyway. All you have to do is designate the Bobby White Foundation to receive that percentage. Maybe you want to do it for May. If you've already got, been on the program like I have, just switch it for that one month. They can have it for a month or so and you can switch it back to somebody else, you know, spread the wealth. Uh, you have two fundraisers, one fundraiser on the books now, uh, which yeah. is the Art for Hope, which is September 10th. And then the Out of Darkness Walk that is held every October. You have a website. Bodywhitefoundation.org and you can donate directly on that website also. Okay. And then you can email Tammy, Tammy at bobbywhitefoundation.org. Um, you can reach out our, here and I Facebook will connect page, you. Yeah, our Facebook yeah. page has all the information. You can even call me directly if you want. We have some flyers. I mean, we have other things that, you know, we can send out if, you, if you're in need. And 
Tammy has put together some great things and you can, you can hear she's got a real passion for this and she's turned her uh, pain into a passion to help people and become an advocate. And so, you know, really take her tips in mind. Uh, I know that you'll remember at least a few things that we've said today and uh, don't be afraid to discuss mental health issues. Don't be afraid to talk to people who have experienced suicide. Don't shy away from them because it's awkward and you don't know what to say. You can simply say, I am so sorry. I don't know what to say, but I just want to be here for you. It's as simple as that. That's good. Please yeah. tell me how, is there anything that I can do to help you now? And they might say, I don't even know. I don't even know what to ask for right now. Okay. Let me know if there is something, but don't just leave it there. Reach out to them on your own because sometimes they don't even have the energy to reach out to you. Just check in with them and say, I'm just checking on you. If, is there anything that you need? Even sometimes if you can't wind up doing something for them, just the fact that you're checking in or sending that card or whatever it is, just lets people know that you're there, that you care. There's, there's hope and it just gives them a little bit each day to, to get through this, this trauma. So we want to thank Tammy for uh, being here today, for sharing her story. Tammy, is there anything else that you wanted to say about this? Stay connected. Don't be afraid to talk. Yeah, stay connected and make, make that effort. Reach out, especially if you know somebody who uh, struggles with depression or isolation or loneliness, make a point to give them a call today. Shoot them a text and say, I'm thinking about you. Can I give you a call later? You know, what are you doing? Are you doing all right? Let's watch a movie online together, you know? Let's, uh, something, something that just uh, bridges that gap. It's super important now because as you said, people that don't normally struggle are struggling. Um, yeah, it's, um, and hopefully this will start to open up the conversation a little bit more is because there's more people that normally wouldn't struggle that are struggling. It's not just those that have a hard time. It's yeah. a lot of people right now. A lot of people. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You have a purpose in this world. You are needed. People love you. And things get better. They do. So hang on and don't give up. And please ask for help, whatever that help is. And give. Give help to others. And if you can help the Bobby Watt Foundation, please do. So, Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time today, for being on the Detour podcast with us and sharing your story. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you for the cards that you sent to me. Uh, they were so sweet. Oh, <laughs> you're so welcome. You're so welcome. You're such a sweet lady. I appreciate you. You are too. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Stay safe and uh, stay connected. And until next time, we will see you. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments on our Facebook page. We hope that you'll listen again soon. And thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. for listening. You can follow, interact, and ask questions about this episode and others on our Facebook page, The Detour Podcast, and on Instagram at Sheila Shinsky. To hear more conversations like this one, you can listen to all of our episodes on The Detour Podcast channel on Podbean. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So be sure to share this episode with a friend who loves podcasts too. 
and rate, comment, and subscribe yourself so you can join us next time as we take the detour and enjoy the wander.